Welcome to the Mastering the Game of Life podcast. In this podcast, there'll be insights around three key areas to mastering the game of life. Purpose, prosperity, philanthropy. Your host, Paul Lowe, the third sector mentor, is the founder of Hearts Global CIC, which along with many other of his charitable commitments, has been responsible for positively impacting thousands of people's lives, particularly young people from disadvantaged communities. Author of Mastering the Game of Life, From Pain to Purpose, and Speaking from Our Hearts books. Introducing your host, Paul Lowe. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this podcast where we'll be talking about the subject of grief and more specifically how grief can be overcome. Now, this is, this is a, a subject, if that's the right word, that affects all of us to, to varying degrees or other and sometimes in our life. And certainly from my experience, it's something that uh, people do get, I would say, paralysed by. And the message today is that doesn't need to be the case. And to, to help convey that message, I've got a lady with me called Sherry Forsyth. Sherry uh, did a previous podcast episode, you may recall, around the uh, the trauma of losing a daughter, uh, adultery and overcoming crippling illness. And today she's going to share with us, a, based on her own personal experience, her research and her, her, her all sort of putting all this together uh, the benefits of, um, of of her experience. So without further ado, Sherry, it's over to you and um, tell us about grief. Thanks. Thank you, Paul. And uh, as always, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be able to discuss things uh, with our listeners and with you. I do feel that in our Western culture, we we really don't deal with grief very well at all. We kind of have the stiff upper lip approach where, you know, once it's a week after the loss maybe, um, and so one is immediately expected to be, you know, totally back to normal, uh, getting on with things, uh, be totally unaffected by what, which in many cases a very great loss you know, either the, the loss of a parent, uh, a spouse, a very close friend, or maybe a child. And so our Western culture uh, kind of dismisses grief as not important and something you get over quickly and it will, it will it's almost like an illness, like you've had a bit of a cold, uh, you'll get over it and then you'll go back to being your normal self again. And I think that that's where a lot of misunderstanding happens. Um, if it is the loss, uh, Paul, of somebody not particularly close to you, then certainly uh, to be able to get over it much more quickly is absolutely appropriate. But if it's a loss of somebody really, really close to you, I don't believe that you can ever go, go back to being your normal old self again. Um, I believe that the process of grieving, um, if you allow it to, really weathers our soul, really, um, uh, yeah, I suppose we harness that hardship and the, the, the learning that happens to us during the grieving process is very, it's huge. And that learning doesn't allow us to be our old normal selves, but it certainly does allow us to be a new normal self in time. And uh, in, in, in our Western culture, I don't think we, we allow the process, encourage the process. Uh, we're expecting people just to kind of shake it off and, 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 and carry on with life. And I think that attitude uh, is very damaging for people who are in the, the process of mourning for uh, a loved one. So if I'm hearing you correctly then, Sherry, is, uh, and we know this to be true as a generalisation, about the need for each and every one of us to constantly almost reinvent ourselves. So if I'm hearing you correctly, is, is that what you're saying, that the grief actually probably expedites that process even more because 
whilst we may recognize that pain in small doses is very good because it's a great lever for change suffering certainly isn't there's no benefits to suffering at all are we putting grief then under that banner of suffering and there there are no benefits unless we can use it as a very strong powerful lever for change for the better obviously yes paul it, uh, that's exactly it um you know to we would never choose to have that kind of suffering uh but when when you're in it uh you do have a choice and that is either to harness the suffering the pain the enormity of what's happened to you and over time allow it to transform you uh or the other choice is to not allow the grief to do any work for you at all you get stuck in that dark place uh you become a victim and that's where you remain and many people don't realize that when they are in the midst of their grieving process that they are able to have that choice to remain a victim or to choose to allow the journey to teach us what it needs to teach us so that we then come out um far more compassionate far more understanding uh, not only of others who are grieving but just in the the general way we live our lives okay so allow me to play devil's advocate on that sherry if i may sure sure it's okay for you to say that my heart's broken you don't understand how would you how would you come back and and rationalize overcoming grief because on a personal level i totally resonate um with 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 what you've said and and know it to be true but i also have conversations with a lot of people that um i call it the us and them syndrome where they don't actually sort of see uh, or get or because their heart's broken they haven't the that in the moment that ability to to see you know the to see the forest for the trees to use that metaphor they they're so immersed in this crippling paralyzed state of 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 grief that they can't see any other so how would you you know what's what's the message i suppose of inspiration that you'd give to people that are uh, newly grief stricken i suppose is the the correct way to put it lovely question uh, paul and in fact it's a question that um i often come across because i do deal a lot with um particularly parents who've lost children but also uh we have a huge retirement uh, village very close to us so i deal a lot with people who've lost their their partners of a lifetime and uh you know initially that process you are heartbroken it's it's a very um debilitating place to be when you have just experienced the loss and um even though our body does protect us by suffusing ourselves with uh, all sorts of chemicals that that make us numb which is a way of protecting our bodies uh, once that numbness starts wearing off the, the and reality really starts hitting home that is when the pain is probably at its worst because we don't have any any chemicals that are are protecting us anymore and so when they, when when one is in that stage uh i think what people need to know is that there is a process that they will need to go through it's not going to be just you know waving a magic wand and making it go away so i don't like to try and pretend that the journey they are going to be walking is an easy one so i think what the first step for me is to really validate where they are and to let them know that it is completely normal to feel such intense pain to feel um oh, there's a myriad of symptoms that go together with uh, the grieving process and um so firstly to validate absolutely i do understand um and then from there to say however over time it certainly eases a lot Uh, and 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 the more you work through your grief 
generally the quicker that process is where you travel down through the valley of, of grief and you start coming up the other side. So the, the, the comment that time heals, I don't believe is entirely true. Um, what I like to say is, yes, we do need the process of time to help us, but it's what we do with that time that really will determine how strongly we overcome the grieving process or maybe how positively we overcome the, the, the process of grieving. Yeah, because that time concept for me, um, Sherry, just stepping outside this this specific context of grief, I me mean, time as a generalization, I firmly believe is is a man-made concept. You know, we have watches, we have clocks that guide us for, they tell us how to kind of practically live our lives. You know, I will get up at eight o'clock in the morning, at 12 o'clock I will go to work. You know, they're, they're, they're kind of benchmarks throughout our day. But isn't the reality... Uh, with the human spirit particularly and uh, in life in more general terms that the fact that time is time you know oh I wish I had more time well you've got the same amount of time as as every single person on the on this earth has got it's how we perceive that and I think when our heart is breaking uh, the old cliche Oh, do you know, a minute seems like an hour, seems like a day. But when your life is good and you're having fun, didn't time go quickly? No, it didn't. It's your perception. And I think that's a very, for me, an interesting insight in terms of that grieving process. How long does that take? You know, you hear people uh, ask the question, well, you know, this has just gone off in my life. Um, how long will it take? They say that time's a healer. Well, how long is that? It's very, very subjective, and and you cannot, for me, I don't believe you can put a time scale on that because, as I say, that that's a man-made construct anyway. Absolutely, uh, I fully agree, Paul. Uh, particularly in uh, recovering from a trauma, and again, we can go broader than just grief, but in recovering from any kind of of really negative experience. Um, you know, my, my, my answer to how long is it going to take is, you know, how long is a piece of string? Uh, it's, it's a very personal process. And it won't, uh, you know, there are no hard and fast rules about how long it will take. So just to give you an example, um, I uh, chatted to a woman who had lost her, her daughter and um, – uh, this was very early on. I was trying to get some kind of, of guidance for myself. And she said to me, you know, after uh, about four years, she felt she was totally in control of the process of grieving. And she could choose when she wanted to open the little box of grief and dig inside it or not. You know, up until that time, the grief was quite overpowering for her. And, um, and, and so she felt that the grief was in control of her life rather than the other way around. So she said it was after about four years, she felt she could be in control of her grieving process. I'd like to compare that four years with that of my husband, who I think only started grieving because he blocked it out so badly, maybe... 11 years after she died. Yeah. So, you know, when you come to, to the timing of it, it's such a personal journey that that's, there are many things that you can't put make a hard and fast rule on as far as the grieving journey is concerned. But one of them is the time of it. Uh, you know, what will affect the, the timing will be what the relationship was of that person who has died, how close were they to you, um, uh, if there's any kind of complicating issues, like, you know, maybe you'd had a big fight, you know, just before he drove off in his car and then he had a car accident and was killed. Those kind of complicating factors will probably mean that you'll take that little bit longer to overcome the grief. Or if it's like maybe a suicide and there might be recriminations or guilt or 
feelings of I should have known or I could have done more to prevent the death. Uh, all those kind of factors will affect the time frame um, that we take to come to terms with the loss. I don't want to say get over it. Uh, uh, there's a lovely there's a lovely term called emotional completion, which I think really does for me say what it is. We wanting to come to the completion of the huge emotional turmoil of the journey through loss. And so I don't like to say you'll get over it, um, but I do like to say you'll, you'll come out the other side and you will be uh, stronger and better, providing you allow the journey to do its work. Yes, and that, that leads me nicely in, Sherry, to my next um, take on this around consciousness and you know being aware of what is actually happening in any given moment in any given day hour minute second whatever that may be because as we know when we're when we're in this uh, this phase of um, loss if we can generalize it like that it's our emotions are all over the place so so I use the word consciousness in a very simplistic sort of angle to say okay by me having, although my heart is breaking now and I feel absolutely dreadful and full of despair, and I've been in, I've personally been in this, you know, this situation many times. Um, but having that, I don't know if ability is the right word, but that somehow to, to say, I will come through this and I will. I will, and I've used language like I will fight this battle and I've since been challenged over over using words like battle and, you know, give it empowering that sort of debilitation. But I suppose what I'm trying to say is by having a positive mindset, um, although you're fully aware and you're fully in the moment of, of pain and suffering um, and grief, to what degree do you think that having that consciousness that positive mindset can help the process or is it just a natural net t time bearing in mind what we've said about time uh, nature's just got to take its course or is it a hybrid of the two what is it in your experience sherry i think paul for me having that positive mindset is such a gift in uh, just in general living but certainly when when you are experiencing a, a dark uh, and and very painful process. I think what it allows one to do is it allows you to know that things will get better in time. Whereas if you don't have that positive mindset, you can't know that they'll ever get better. So uh, what we're speaking about here is hope. Yes. So we, we if you if you have a positive mindset. Um, I think there's a there's less anxiety around how powerful is this journey going to be? Is it going to destroy me? If you have a positive mindset, you know the going is tough, uh, and realistically, you can sit in the moment, in the pain, in the heartbreak, but you know that in time and using that word again in time, yeah. but in time that you will be able to function again. Um, so I do think that having a positive mindset plays an enormous role in, sorry, there's a huge truck going, there's a huge truck going past. I hope it didn't drown out my sound too much. Um, uh, the, having a positive mindset plays an enormous role in your knowledge um, that you will be able to overcome the grieving process. If you, if you don't have that positive mindset, uh, I think what often happens is there's a lot of anxiety around, is this going to stay like this forever? Am I ever going to be able to feel any joy again? Um, is it just going to be dark day on top of dark day on top of dark day? And, and I don't know, in fact, that I can ever feel better. And that mindset is the mindset which leads us into, I believe, into the victimhood of, 
well, I'm going to stay here. It's comfortable for me. And so instead of me trying to learn about the process or trying to find out how I can maybe get out of this, these really crippling and hugely powerful emotions, people just stay there and allow those emotions to engulf them. Um, and it, it's so sad because then they stay in that terrible place for such a long time instead of realizing that, in fact, if they put a little bit of work, um, emotional work, uh, they can be in a very different place. So to answer your question, yes, I do think that a positive mindset plays a huge role in your ability to overcome the journey of loss. And part of it is because if one has a positive mindset, we generally are quite um, accepting uh, of the reality of where we are. We're not trying to pretend that it's not a big thing and we're also not trying to over-dramatize it. So uh, if I, yeah, I think that, that if you are blessed with a positive mindset, it helps a lot in the grieving process. Um, the other thing that I think maybe I'm just going to toss in here is what also affects your ability to grieve is, or your ability to, to overcome uh, or get into a more positive place, is your own physical condition. So if, I, if you think of two elderly people who are both relatively frail and one dies, the remaining uh, spouse is usually quite, um, let's say they're in their 90s, they're probably quite ill themselves, they're frail, they're weak. It's very difficult then to have a hugely positive mindset because your own body is in a weak place and your mind is also in a weak place. So that's quite a tough uh, situation to be in. Okay. Brings in the question, really, of support, doesn't it? I want to park that support concept for a moment, um, Sherry, if I may. Mm. Just picking up there on your um, – you use the um, the sort of polarisation, and it's yet again, it's leading quite nicely to that victor versus victim dichotomy. And, and for me – um, this then brings in the six human needs because, and yet again, I speak from my own personal experience of how my perceived early challenges in life, which were very stark, um, fed, fed my six, well, certainly my first four core human needs, which is certainty, uncertainty, significance, and love and connection, um, working off the Tony Robbins model, and they serve them in a very, very negative way, which led to addiction for me. So I'm very mindful that how grief, for example, can give us certainty because you know that day after day after day after day, certainly in the early uh, early phases, that, that, that way of feeling, of being, is going to be very certain in your life. You'll know you're going to feel that way today, tomorrow, next week, next month, probably next year, probably the year after. Who knows? Bring in mind our, our conversation around time. But there's a lot of certainty in grief, isn't it? Even though it's negative. Similarly, um, similarly with uncertainty or variety, you don't quite know how you're going to feel. You know you're going to feel bad or you think you're going to be feeling bad, which then creates a, almost a self-fulfilling prophecy because what you tell yourself is what you become, as we know. So it, it becomes a bit like a dog chasing its tail, round and round and round and round and round, but we're not really getting anywhere. And then when we look at the third one, significance, and I look, you know, yet again, Sherry, um, at my own experience, and I'm going to invite you to sort of come in on the significance angle if you was aware or not, or to what degree significance there was um, in terms of, you know, managing the grieving process, because, you know, I can only elaborate on my own experience, and that was it gave me great victimhood status. People felt sorry for me mm. until I actually realised that 
That's a nonsense. I need to become a victor now. I suppose the female equivalent would be Victoria, but I don't know if that quite fits. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so there's, and then the love and connection as the fourth uh, basic human need is, you know, usually we can reach out to people because that that you know that empathize or, or share our common our common plight if you like so what's your thoughts around those um those certainly those first four basic human needs sherry in terms of putting it in the context of a victor or a victoria versus a victim yeah i, I agree you know uh um a hundred percent with you, and and as you know, we use the the Tony Robbins's uh, needs uh, often in our coaching. Yes, but yes. to relate that to grieving, uh, the yes, the certainty um, of knowing it's going to be painful. Exactly what you said. The process is awful. Uh, if you are looking for some kind of certainty in the initial stages of grieving. You ain't going to find them there, okay? It is an incredibly volatile journey. It's a roller coaster of emotions. There is no certainty. You don't know from minute to minute how you're going to be feeling, let alone from day to day. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a very calm person. And uh, I found that first uh, little while, I never knew how I was going to be, whether I would be okay, whether I would be in floods of tears, uh, so there was absolutely no certainty uh, in the in the beginning, but then I think there can become a certainty as you realise I am going to overcome this. That certainty can motivate you and drive you towards the process. Well, towards the the positivity of 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 overcoming the grieving process. Um, so that's really dealing with the certainty and the uncertainty and variety, which is very much what you said. Um, as far as the significance is concerned, uh, I think you get a lot of significance if you are if you choose to be the victim, and that's why many people stay there. You know, lots of people are running around them; they're becoming completely helpless. People are doing their shopping for them, making food for them. And that's actually really quite cool because then I don't have to do it myself. So, And I do know of a, of a woman who uh, actually lived in the uh, same retirement village as my parents. And she lost a daughter like 45 years ago. And from that day on, she stopped living. She chose to remain in the victimhood. So her husband, I mean, she chose to stop living, but she was still breathing, if you know what I mean. She never did anything. She never did any cooking, never cleaning, never any buying. Um, her husband actually took over her life completely. So that can happen when you find being a victim is quite comfortable. Uh, what we need to try and, and, and harness is, so what kind of significance has the loss maybe given me? In other words, if I am in a situation where I'm well known in my village, maybe what I can do is I can be an example to other people in how to deal with their grief. Um, and so what we found is in our tiny little village, Everybody did know. And so uh, because I was also, uh, my husband had lived here his whole life, uh, we'd been very involved in the community. What it did was it did allow us to, I suppose, show people that it was okay to grieve. Uh, instead of trying to block it off and pretending that life was absolutely perfect, we allowed our village to see that we were grieving, but in a realistic way. I'm not sure if it's making if that's making sense to to you, Paul, or to our listeners. But because we 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 were we were known, we were able to influence others into saying it is a huge thing. We're not trying to pretend that this is just going away in a week, but we are going to be working 
through it in order to get to a positive, healthier place. And it did take my husband a very long time, but, you know, we are there. So I think that's how significance will come, would come into uh, the, the grieving process. And then the last of the four, four core human needs being love and connection, I do think that in a time of grieving, that support that we receive from our families, from our friends, from our communities, uh, from uh, and, and the world is a small community now, you know, these online support groups. I think that is that is absolutely amazing. Uh, we were certainly overwhelmed with straight people we didn't know very well who would bring us a meal. So that kind of outpouring of love and connection is really uh, so soothing for us in a time of of huge grief. But I would. I would just like to add here that sometimes the people that we think will really care for us don't, and possibly because they don't know how to, uh, and that can be very hurtful. There might be close family members or close friends that you just imagine will walk the journey with you, and suddenly they're not alongside you. Uh, so that part of uh, love and connection can lead to hurt. But on the other hand, there will be people that you are not expecting love and connection and support and caring from, and suddenly they reveal themselves to you. So on the one hand, relationships are maybe taken away but on the other, new ones are given to you. So many people are unaware of the fact that sometimes close relationships can break down when there's a, a, a very important loss that you're trying to deal with. And so you are. there's a double whammy of the fact that you have been, you know, you're battling with the loss of the person that you loved, and then you battle with the loss of, possibly close family members or friends who actually are not supporting you or walking the journey with you. And we certainly experienced that and have found that to be very painful. I can, um, if I can just share um, a little bit of an anecdotal one on that, um, what, what I termed at the time, and this is going back a few years ago now, Sherry, people coming out the woodwork. Um, I had a situation where I was up in... Um, in Staffordshire visiting somebody uh, well actually I was down in, in Warwickshire but I was traveling up to, to Staffordshire and as I'd come out of this meeting uh, in Warwickshire I put my phone on and it it went absolutely crazy now this was about what 12 years ago mm -hmm. and it went absolutely crazy with messages text messages uh, voicemails this that the other the phone was then ringing so um I'd switched the phone on and started taking and, and uh, Paul, give us a call. Paul, give us a call. Are you okay? Now, before I started taking the calls, I actually started working through the text messages and that. And uh, um, one of them, the, the, the first one actually said, Paul, we've heard you're dead, but give us a call, which I thought was quite humorous. I thought, well, if I'm dead, how can I give you a call? Um, but that a lot, you know, it was interesting. That alarmed me, but amused me in equal measures at the time. And as I, the upshot of this was, at the time, there was a guy with the same name as me that lived probably a couple of miles from where I lived uh, originally, an area called Bestwood Estate in the inner, in the inner suburbs of Nottingham, proper real inner city council estate. And mm -hmm. he was the same age. And all this kind of stuff. Now, what my drinking fraternity um, mainly had seen, but not just the drinking fraternity, was in the local paper's obituary column about this guy called Paul Lowe dying and the connections or the coincidences. And, and as you know, Sherry, from my, our conversations, I absolutely do not buy into the coincidence thing in life. I do not. Yeah. I believe we put an energy out there most of the time subconsciously, and we attract uh, things that come back to us and which we may not like, understand, 
comprehend. But I actually wrote a poem around this once and these things come back and we must rest assured they're part of our journey. Yes, um, I agree. And for me, that is the epitome of faith. But anyway, I digress. So what happened was within this situation, this, this guy, as I say, the, but the messages in the obituary, there were two in particular that was, I mean, this was uncanny in the extreme, that there was a reference to, to all your drinking buddies in Spain. Now, at the time when I was more in the UK, I used to go over to Spain regularly uh, on a drinking binge, um, uh, usually in Benidorm and around that area. And it stipulated that, it, you know, it mentioned Benidorm, it mentioned Spain, etc., etc. It also mm -hmm. mentioned in a separate obituary piece, reference to Nottingham Forest Football Club. And it said, oh, give, wow. give our love to Cluffy, um, you know, two great Forest lads together now were the exact words. And Brian Clough obviously being the manager of Nottingham Forest for 18 years. So that was uncanny. So it wasn't hard to understand Sherry, why people had deduced that it was actually me, because to all intents and purposes, it was me. Now, I looked into this and it was actually legitimate. There was a guy with the same. This was all above board because it freaked me out. There must have been 200 calls, text messages, this, that, the other, whatever. Now, the real sort of, you know, to take it back to what you said about people or to use my terminology of people coming out the woodwork at the time i got two and i use the term sworn enemies and i mean that in, a, in the most starkest sense these guys actually came into my local pub and said this has gone off in the past that's gone off in the past shake your hand buy your drink i'm glad you're alive we're never going to be mates we're at opposite ends of life's views let's just leave it at that because uh, i was yeah. in some dark places in those days um but respect to you that you're alive now that was that moved me and still moved me to this day sherry to think that two people that you and i won't use the word hate because that's a very uh that's a very powerful word and i, and I refuse to buy into that but disliked intent just let's say we didn't see eye to eye and i'm being really polite there but they, they, they'd come they'd come out the way, they'd come out the woodwork, and it's it just it really made put me on my sort of back back feet to think, well, hang on, maybe you've got this game of life wrong because your perception is they are the last two people you would have ever thought would be there to sort of, you know, shake your hand, buy your drink, and then sail off into the sunset, so to speak. So I just share that to Sherry, just to kind of reinforce that um, we, we just don't know who's out there for us. And usually, or sometimes the people that we think there are the most, well, maybe they're not. Absolutely. And, and uh, thank you for sharing that story because it, it really does make us stop and think uh, about you know how we're living our lives and that we can carry on in that anger or with you and your your uh, i won't call them friends your the, the people that you were you were battling with you know if if there hadn't been that uh uh obituary possibly you would have carried on the same vein mm. but uh, very often it, it makes you stop to think and we can release a lot of that negativity uh so why not do it while we're living you know you don't have to wait till someone dies to do that absolutely um, absolutely. So just going back to the six human needs, Sherry, on the, the two highest uh, spiritual human needs of growth and contribution, from your own experiences, how has that contributed, you believe, to your growth? Oh, wow. <laughs> how much time have we got, Paul? <laughs> yeah. Because I've yeah. all day. Um, <laughs> it, it, honestly, it has, it, it, the, the, the process has taught me so much. Uh, I am inherently somebody who likes to know a lot about what I'm doing and obviously in the nature of my work. Uh, so I, I've, I've read extensively a, a, a about grief. But the, I think what I need to say is that when, I, when we lost our daughter, I was uh, 41, 42, uh, 41. And um, I pretty much thought that I had life sewn up. I was like... You know, to the happy little family, mum, dad, two children, everything going swimmingly, business is going well. 
And so I was quite, um, yeah, arrogant, I suppose is the word. But I, I, I reckon that I, I had this whole life story hmm, under control. And uh, then as life does, it sends us a curved ball. And suddenly I was completely at sea. And the, the level of growth uh, has been exponential over the last 16 years and still continues even now. Um, and I think it was a, a, the, you know, I thought that I knew quite a lot about a few things before Kerry died. And what her loss made me realize is actually I know nothing. And there's so much out there that one can open ourselves to that will enhance the way we live our lives that will enhance the way we think about things. And um, so it, it almost was like I, for me personally, I took on a second life after the loss of our daughter with the huge volume of things to learn. And because we are being challenged in the process of grieving, we are being challenged by overwhelming emotion, then we'll be challenged by maybe the hurt because a friend that we thought would be there is not there. Um, and so the journey goes on with it's the challenges that always seem to be rising their little heads to us. And, and that's where the growing happens is each little challenge that presents itself is to say, okay, so I need to learn about this. I need to learn more about how to deal with this so that I deal with it in a positive way. And uh, so the, 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 the growth happens along the way. It happens every day. Uh, instead of sort of big mountainous steps up and suddenly you, you, um, you, you feel you've grown a lot. So it's really only in retrospect, looking back to see the, the huge growth that has happened, how my views have changed in many areas, um, because I realize that life is short. And so does it really matter if my house is in a bit of a mess? No, it's far more important to spend time with those quality people. Does it matter that I haven't, you know, cooked a perfect meal? No, that doesn't matter. What matters is that we give time to the people that we love. So it changed the priorities with which I was living my life. Um, or should I say it modified the priorities. So now I know very clearly what's important and what isn't. And that's been very liberating. So... The growth has been huge. Um, for my husband, he originally tried to block everything, couldn't cope with the emotion. Um, and then when he fell apart, his health fell apart, he started on his grieving journey, his growth. Even at that late stage of only starting to deal with it 11 years later, his growth has also been exponential. So I do think it's a choice that we make to grow. As we've spoken, Victor, uh, victim, I, I do think that it is a choice, but it's a no-brainer. Why on earth would you choose not to grow? Why on earth would you choose to stay in this really difficult place? So, so my whole um, feeling is harness the hardship. You know, make it work for you. But if I may just mention, uh, in our, uh, we started a, a support group for mums who had lost children called Angel Mums, because there is no term given to parents who've lost a child. You know, if you've uh, if you've lost a if you've lost your parents, you become an orphan. Uh, if you've lost your spouse, you become a widow or widower. But there is no term for people who have lost children. So we coined the term angel mums. And um, uh, probably about three or four years ago, I mentioned to them uh, 
and normally I didn't say very much because I was facilitating the group, but I, I mentioned to them that as much as one could, I feel that I've recovered. And they were, they were very angry with me. You know, like, how dare I say that? And I think because some of them are locked into the victimhood, they're not going to be using this experience to grow. Yeah. And when I said that I had grown and would continue to grow, I think maybe they resented it a little bit. So that was an absolute eye-opener to me that they, they couldn't accept that growth was a positive thing and that a, a positive thing had come out of such a devastating and negative occurrence as in the loss of our children. So... Yeah, that's about uh, growth. Um, the last um, of the six human needs is um, our contribution. In other words, how are we going to give or give back? And I do think that many people can't give during the process of their, their mourning. They, they too, and rightly so, they're too consumed with their own challenges and working it out for themselves. Uh, but I do, I do think that when they are in a stronger place, they could, have, they could be of immense value to other people who are now starting on the journey. But very sadly, most people don't seem to do that when we come to uh, the topic of grieving. So I, we tried to start a support group at one of, one of the retirement villages locally. And uh, because a lot of people in those retirement villages are losing their spouses because they all are elderly when they move there. And so obviously it goes with the territory that they'll be, they'll be losing uh, their, their spouses. And um, it wasn't supported at all. So why that's happening, I'm not sure. And so many people can't really contribute well to others when they are in the, in the grieving process and even afterwards. But I would love it if more people would be able to make themselves available so that they can treat a new mourner as such with compassion and to be able to stand alongside them and just encourage them in a journey that is very lonely or can be very lonely and, and very, very, very challenging. So why it's not happening, Paul, I don't know. It's an interesting one on uh, contribution, Sherry, because in my Three Pillars of Life model, and I want to, uh, I want to uh, sort of open this up to you, uh, if I may, and say in your experiences of life in general and more specifically, Sherry, around this, this conversation of grief, how, and, and, I, and I would invite you please to, um, if you like, critique it because this model's been put out there. It's based on my own research. It's been based on my own experiences over decades. But whenever I have a conversation with anybody around any topic, be it good, bad or indifferent, I ask them in the context of, does this model hold water? So if I may um, kindly ask you to indulge um, with, with me, Sherry, on this and around my three Ps model, the first one is purpose. And I know we've spoke around this in a previous conversation um, and used the analogy of a, a ship without a rudder. It's fair to say, isn't it, that each and every one of us needs a purpose in life because without it we've got no sense of direction we don't know what we're doing we you know the old saying that if you don't stand for for something you'll fall for everything a bit like a ship being tossed in life's oceans because it's got no rudder it's got no direction it's got no captain it's got no nothing so sure. that's that's the first one the first pillar is around the purpose the second one is around prosperity because i believe that, and yet again, this is based on decades of merely existing, um, that without that love, that softness, that, that raison d'etre, that reason to live, uh, a flourishing, thriving, good fortune, 
whatever that may be, um, and for me, too many people put in far too stronger emphasis on money when they hear the word prosperity, but it's it's around that holistic well-being of, yes, I might have a couple of shillings or not as the case may be, but I, you know, I've got good health, I've got a good heart, and that makes me a multi-billionaire without probably even realizing it. And then the third one is philanthropy. And yet again, this is a word that usually raises a few eyebrows. Well, I'm not some multimillionaire that can give tens of thousands to, I don't know, schools in Africa, for, for example, or, or whatever the cause may be. Um, but the simplicity of it for, for me, Sherry, the philanthropy word coming from the Greek words of love of humanity. And surely that's kind of tied into the contribution element of, you know, yes, we are all important to each and every one of us in this world, but I believe we have a social responsibility to contribute to the bigger picture that we and the world that we live in. So they are my three pillars around purpose, around prosperity and around philanthropy. And at the risk of repeating, Sherry, I'd like to invite you to actually critique that or not, as the case may be, in the context of your very, very challenging um, life over, you know, over the uh, the previous few years? Certainly, uh, uh, Paul. <clears throat> Going for, with your first pillar of purpose, it was quite amazing to me <clears throat> that I received, uh, when I was about 18 years old, I received a poem about um, that a child is just given to you for a short time to look after and then uh they go back to whatever your spiritual belief is they go back to heaven or go back to god now why was i given that poem and why did i remember that poem unless part of my purpose on life was to experience the loss of a child and be able then to maybe help others in dealing with loss and so I do feel that uh, as far as the grieving journey is concerned, a part of our purpose is to overcome life's challenges across the board. And loss is one of them. You know, there are very few people who will go through life never having experienced the death of uh, a loved one. And if there are people like that, I feel sorry for them because patently they haven't loved enough. But uh, part of our purpose in, in life is, my belief, is that we, we it's our beacon. It, it guides us in all we do. So if one of our purposes is to accept the challenges, be as strong as we can be, no matter what the challenges are, then that purpose can guide us and help us a lot when time is, times are going, are, are going badly. Almost like, you know, a lighthouse being that beacon of light amongst the, you know, when you're in, a, in the stormy seas. Yes. So life purpose is integral. And I, I certainly um, uh, almost feel that I was being groomed for the loss of a child, not that I knew that that was going to be my purpose then, but from when I was little, it was just stuff that I, I knew. And then when Kerry did die, it was, I remembered all of those things. So it was, as I, as you were saying, you don't believe in coincidence, nor do I. It was like though that information was, was, was preparing me for the journey that we have walked over the last few years. So... I do think purpose is incredibly important. Uh, moving on to your second pillar, which is prosperity. And I agree 100%. In fact, as you were mentioning the word prosperity, uh, I immediately wrote down here, um, we're looking here at the wealth of knowledge and the wealth of the relationships of the people in our lives. Um, and that is what makes us rich. So if you are... I'm going to link it now to the grieving. If you do have people, and it won't be a lot of people, who can walk alongside you during this journey of, of grieving, then you are very wealthy. 
But the wealth of knowledge that we gain, and we, we can link that to the sixth human needs, uh, the growth of, of uh, the fifth human need, um, uh, the prosperity then is very rich. We are very, very wealthy if we choose to learn the lessons. And once we've learned those lessons, um, it allows a lot of, of those gentle words to come in to our lives. So instead of being hugely judgmental, we're going to probably be far more accepting and understanding. You know, instead of being driven to win at all costs, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to be maybe driven to help others. So that uh, gives us a lot of prosperity in the way we're living, but it also helps us put the idea of prosperity and generosity uh, out into the world, which I think we are so much in need of. And that leads directly into the, the third uh, pillar, which is um, uh, uh, philanthropy, which um, I wish there was more in our world that we weren't so concerned about us and what we are doing for ourselves. Um, here in South Africa, amongst the Zulu people, we have a word called Ubuntu, spelled U-B-U-N-T-U, Ubuntu, which is embracing and helping humanity. And it's a lovely principle to aspire to. And so if we can have, uh, in getting back now to the whole grieving journey, um, if we can use that, our journeys, to help others to ease their load, whether it is through um, doing uh, grief workshops. Um, I'm just trying to think what I do. I do grief workshops. I do a lot of work with hospice uh, and Lifeline. Um, and I know that if I hadn't had the, experienced the loss of Kerry, I know that I wouldn't be in that position to be able to help those associations. So I think what I'm trying to say here is that many people don't harness the loss in order to maybe look at your three pillars, particularly the last one. And my challenge is to maybe find a way that you can help others, even if it's in a very small way, um, as they are traveling this, this journey, which is quite tough. So, in essence, I think your three pillars are, uh, can be applied to the grieving journey as well. Very, very um, valid. Okay, thank, thank you for that, Sherry. So, by way of a, a summary then, Sherry, um, is there anything that you, you'd like to add to, um, to the, uh, the, I believe, the immense insights that you've already shared with us? Is there anything that... Uh, you feel would further enhance uh, value to, to the listener? I think there's one thing that I would like to add, Paul, and, and that is that when we are uh, busy with, with our mourning, busy in the journey of loss, uh, what I like to um, suggest to people is that they use their loved ones. So in our case, it was our daughter, Kerry. So I use Kerry every day to inspire me. And uh, she inspires me to, in the work I do, she inspires me to be kinder, be more compassionate, all those, those uh, things that we all are trying to be better at. Uh, and and she herself was she just loved everything unconditionally. She'd have to save the bees in our swimming pool before we could swim, otherwise they would all drown. So she was really the epitome of unconditional love, and that has challenged me hugely uh, to aspire to 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 how she how I think she would want me to be, and. When you are experiencing a journey of loss, to think of that person who has now died and how they would like you to be is, has enormously powerful effect in helping you just to be a little bit better than you might have been on the day. And so 
uh, yes, that's kind of the last thing that I, I would like to add is let's use the people that have died, that are close to us, that we loved so much, and let's use them to inspire us to be better every day in the way we're living our lives. Very poignant, Sherry, very poignant. So I think all that remains now is me to uh, to thank you, Sherry, for your, as I say, sharing your insights and uh, um, your deep experiences. So, yes, thank you very much indeed for that, Sherry. Uh, huge pleasure, Paul, and uh, it's always lovely to uh, to be in a conversation with you. We always manage to discover lovely things together. So uh, thank you for the opportunity. Indeed. And also thank you to you, the listeners, for being part of this podcast episode. And until the next time, keep learning and loving. And remember, mastering life starts by embracing our hearts. Thanks for listening to the Mastering the Game of Life podcast. Drop a line to paul at paullowhearts.com with any thoughts or questions you may have, and he'll be more than happy to respond. Alternatively, check out Paul's website at paullowhearts.com or any of his social media feeds under the same name. Remember, mastering life starts by embracing our hearts.